Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is going on within the Transfiguration? We read it yearly and celebrate it, but it's unlike other events such as Jesus' birth or even his crucifixion and resurrection. In contrast, it has no seemingly concrete human purpose. Birth understood, even if only in human terms. Death and suffering we know due to our sinful natures and desires. We all experience these things. We have all been born. We experience suffering to various degrees as well. Death, we cannot escape it unless the Lord returns first. To that we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The transfiguration is different. We have no natural happening within our existence to compare it to or to guide us in understanding it. It's a theophany, an appearance of God to his people. Think of the burning bush through which God drew Moses into his plan to rescue his people who had been long-suffering in Egypt. Imagine Moses trying to explain the burning bush, what he had seen and heard to another. Obviously, Moses did so, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was guided to write, and we have that historical account and the entire historical account of the Exodus from Egypt in the Old Testament, Holy Scripture. It shows us God's love and his will for his people. We have this account of the transfiguration too, but what is going on? Jesus takes three of his disciples up to the mountain. Mountains are a big deal. Sinai was a big deal. The burning bush was up on a mountain. Jerusalem is set in a high place. Mountains are places where God revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament. They follow Jesus, and then he is transfigured. His glory is shown to them. His garments become white as the sun, and he is shown to be the light of the world. He was not reflecting light from another source. He was the source. They saw him as the light that drives out all darkness. Peter decides, it's good to be here. This is quite different from the response to what happened when God revealed himself, himself the sinners at Sinai. Remember the people being terrified and saying to the effect, yeah, Moses, you go up and speak to God. Do it for us, lest we die. They were terrified before the one and only holy and almighty God. In the transfiguration, the glory of God is shining from his Son. And the response from Peter is, Lord, it's good to be here. If you wish, we will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Based on Old Testament experience, this is a good and logical response. The presence of God needs to be contained or people are going to die. Sinful people cannot stand in the presence of the holy and righteous God. They will die. And that means all people, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The response of building tabernacles to protect themselves would have been smart. But if that had been needed, well, they would have already been dead. But they had been taken to the mountain by Jesus. He had taken them there and put them there. So, the tabernacle may have been 
in Peter's eyes, the best way to share this vision he and the others are having with the rest of the world. Remember, Peter had just said to the transfigured Jesus, who is talking with two long-gone prophets, Lord, it's good that we are here. As a disciple, a follower, others should see this too. We must tell others. But then a cloud envelops them, and the voice of God the Father is heard. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, they fall to the ground, and as my Old Testament professor, Dr. Pulse, would say, they simply weren't prone. They were terrified, eating dirt to try and hide themselves from God Almighty. This, in this context, tabernacles make sense, but this is not the case. God the Father struck fear. His law struck fear in them. In Jesus, on the other hand, They had seen only mercy and compassion. Mercy and compassion that had healed the sick, driven out demons, fed thousands with small amounts of food that was not even enough for the twelve of them. They saw the merciful glory of God that was present in his Son. They were not afraid until the Father spoke. Even so, the Father did not speak words of condemnation and death, but words of life and hope, confirming all they had seen. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus touches the unclean dirt eaters and makes them clean and says, Rise and have no fear. There's a whole sermon on Jesus telling them to rise. It is a resurrection kind of rise. It is a your sins are forgiven kind of rise. With his very words and the power of his spirit, they could do nothing else but rise and be lifted to their feet. Much the same way Lazarus was called to come forth from the tomb. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. The prophets all pointed to Jesus throughout the Old Testament. The Father announced his Son in pleasure with him, and they were to listen to him. And what does Scripture record Jesus telling them next as they listen? Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. All of this glory shining, and we tell no one until, wait, what, when? Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead? Yes. During his glorious transfiguration, Jesus had been talking to Moses and Elijah about his exodus, his departure from his life on earth and his return to his Father in heaven. In that exodus, all the glory the three disciples saw on the mountain would be surpassed by the glory of Jesus, the Christ, on the cross. Jesus' exodus had to go through Jerusalem. He had to suffer and die for the sins of all. He had to be smitten, stricken, and afflicted for you. This is why God the Father told the disciples and now tells you and I, listen to him. For the disciples, had it been possible, it would have been easy to stay up on the mountain, to put Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in tabernacles and start bus tours up the mountain to see Jesus in his glory. 
Imagine the beacon of light shining from the mountain, attracting pilgrims. This was not the plan. The plan was not easy. The glory of Christ was not to be found on the mountain. It is to be found in his cross. It is found in the forgiveness won for us poor miserable sinners there at the place of the skull at Golgotha, where the sins of every person that has ever existed, exists now, and ever will exist, were laid on the Son of Man. The Son of Man, God in the flesh, born of a woman like us, but sinless. His active obedience of fulfilling every command of the law had made him innocent of any charge against him in the heavenly realms or on earth. In his sinlessness, he was the perfect Lamb of God. His passive obedience to his Father was shown in his meekness as he innocently and willingly took the punishment we deserve, offering up no defense of himself. Truly, a lamb led to slaughter. We are to listen to him, to Jesus, because he is the truth and the light of this world. His glory, the glory the disciples saw, is found in Scripture that points to him alone as our Savior. His was not an earthly glory, just as his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It is, was, and forever will be a heavenly and eternal glory. If you seek to find in Scripture the source of earthly glory for yourself, that mountaintop glory that Peter wanted to capture in a tabernacle and stay with, you'll be greatly disappointed. But many Bible teachers will want to make Scripture out as a guidebook or self-help book for attaining one's own earthly glory. They will scratch itching ears by twisting God's Word into what pleases the listener, making them comfortable with their life of sin, and at the same time probably amass their own earthly kingdom of glory. This is not following the command of God to listen to Him. Listening to him is about hearing the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is about a kingdom of the cross. The cross he bore for us and the crosses we bear as we follow him as children of God that have no fear before our Heavenly Father. The law that would crush us has been put to death and our baptism and our sinful flesh is robed in the bright light of righteousness that is the holiness of Christ. We are hidden in it, and it is hidden in us. But it is as sure and real as the water that runs over our heads in baptism and the words spoken with that water. We are changed. We are made new. Our flesh still sins. It will sin until the day we are graciously taken from this life and sleep in Jesus until the resurrection of of our then sinless flesh to new life. In this life, however... Our flesh will rebel against the Word of God. It will desire to have its itchy ears soothed with false teaching, teaching that makes rules that fit our wills and desires versus those of God. The devil will lie to us and make us want to believe that what is wrong is right. He takes what God says, he takes what God says is right, good and holy, and tempts our flesh into believing that God's Word was for a different time wrong, or just plain mean and unloving. But God said, listen to him. Listen to the Son. Jesus does not lie. 
his word, all of Holy Scripture, it speaks of him and it does not lie. Will Scripture convict you of your sin? Yeah, yes, it will. Often in the most painful way that should make you cringe and want to fall with your face on the ground and eat dirt in the presence of the most holy God. You're in good company with Peter, James, and John. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus when he says, rise and have no fear. He has touched you as surely as he has touched them and pronounced the forgiveness of your sins to you. He has touched and raised you to new life. In your baptism, he grafted you into himself and himself into you. He is the vine. You are the branch. And he touches and nourishes you at his altar with his holy body and blood. He strengthens you. He strengthens you so you can endure and rebuff the crosses that come your way with his true words and promises. Be the cross temptation to sin, guilt from past sin, fear of the unknown, even fear of death. He has conquered it all for you on his cross. The transfiguration, the manifestation of Christ's glory. The disciples were given a momentary glimpse of the heavenly glory of the Son of God. A glory that we too, as believers that listen to him, will see and share on the last day. His same glory was manifested as he died on the cross, bearing our sin. With faith in his work for us on the cross and his glorious resurrection, we await our future glory in heaven and listen to him in the hope and joy of the eternal life to come. In the name of Jesus, amen.